I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two, Two Average, Average Girls. And welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us. It's Tag Tuesday. Yep. Happy Tuesday. Happy we made t- it through Monday. Here we are. <laughs> so happy about that. Joining us today in the podcast network offices. I don't know what we're calling this. It's, this is our pod room. It's Denise's media room. Yeah. It's also the pod room couple times a week but joining us today we have a special guest natalie yeah welcome natalie hi how are you good thanks for having it's me it's weird to see you in makeup i know it's so and in weird. clothes i know wait, i mean wait totally wait wait, wait. I, I know that didn't sound right did it <laughs> lucky you <laughs> we each see each other Let, let's just preface this by saying we see each other in another mm-hmm. we see each other in you clothes yep. and but it's not regular clothes not it's regular workout clothes. clothes yes so very early in the morning, very like early, right six, after six rolling out of bed. Literally, I have 15 minutes. I've brushed my teeth. I put my hair in a scrunchie and then I get to see you. And you're yes. so happy to see that. Um, yes. It's and it's amazing. Sometimes it's a little rough. It's, <laughs> like, yes. sometimes it's a little rough. Yes. It's, it's very rough, but we're there. Yeah. So I met Natalie. She's a, she's a fairly new friend of mine. We were friends just, you know, when you're working out with somebody, you just you talk about how miserable you are while you're working out or Uh like when you leave. And we started talking a little bit about being tired one day. And Natalie told me that she was training for a triathlon. And I was so pumped when I heard that because I used to train for triathlons. Um, Something that some people know about me is that I, I love, well, I love working out. I mean, it's always been part of who I am. I need it in my life. If I don't work out, I literally daily feel like, I don't feel right. So for me, if I can wear out five to six days a week, I feel really good. And it might just be a walk. Mm -hmm. But I started back to Pilates and we were at Club Pilates. Shout out out to Tanya. Let's shout out Tanya. (laughs) (laughs) We love Tanya. We love a lot of the instructors there, but Tanya is our girl. But um, we started talking about triathlons. And I was like, how are you doing this? Because Natalie, tell us a little bit about who you are as a person. So I am... I'm a mom, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. I have four kids that I'm taking care of day in and day out. (laughs) Well, that's good. We party and (laughs) we have lots of fun. What are Um, the kids' ages? They are almost 12, 10, 6, and 4. Boy, boy, girl, boy. Oh, a girl. You got a girl. I got a girl in there and she's fire. She's great. I love her. Um, I love them all. They're super fun. but I got to spend a lot of time with them this year. Yes, you did. Um, because of COVID and all of the all of the business with our school district going online, and we chose to do the virtual school for the year, and it was miserable for us. Like it just wasn't a good fit for my kids, so we did homeschool. Oh my gosh! And I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't completely desperate. Um, <laughs> a lot of things it. for me are born out of desperation, and oh, um, that's I why think, we're friends. I think <laughs> I think God just knows that He has to push me right to the, the like brink. the edge yeah. before I can do something big, and um, and then I'm willing to do something big, and so I homeschooled them this whole last school year, and Pilates was like my saving grace. And you're not a drinker. No. I mean, Diet Coke. But <laughs> uh, there was a lot of caffeine consumed this year. I just can't even imagine. Every time we would talk about COVID, all I could say was, I'm so grateful my kids aren't little. Oh, 100%. I would, that I mean, first of all, I, I don't know how you can do it. I, I, I literally don't have words for what moms had to go through. Are they I, back in school? Not yet. I mean, they're, I mean, like we finished our homeschool year. Mm-hmm. They are registered to go back to the school. Um, our local school in the fall, which mm-hmm. will be glorious. I literally, my kids would have to like repeat the year if I was their teacher. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like I am well, not smart and I'm not smarter than a fourth mine. grader. I'm not. There's just no way it would happen. That I, was kind of a cool thing about this whole situation was I mean, I was doing fourth grade math and sixth grade math nope. and I was doing kindergarten with Evelyn no. and preschool with TJ and I mean, I there were some things that I was like, I don't remember this part no. of sixth grade math and no. we I had um there's a high school girl in our neighborhood that is super, super smart and wonderful, and she would come over and help me. She would tutor the boys, but I would be looking over her shoulder, and she was really tutoring me. So you could, like, help them later. Yes. Yeah. And so, but I I kind of brushed up on my little math skills there, which was kind of fun. Um, Just in case you need them. Yeah, you know. I mean, I don't know what... You might have to do a ratio sometime <laughs> here or there, or, you know, ratio. break down a recipe somewhere. I don't know. I have Google for that, so I don't even need to know anything. I, I know, that's husband. kind of Google's my brain, right? I know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, so this whole year was spent schooling my kids and hanging out with my kids, and we... And also training for triathlon? Were you doing so that as well? So that didn't start, that whole thing didn't start till like April. Of that was this year? Of this year. Of 2021? Yeah. So and it's so, only July. I yeah. know. She I, just started. I just Girl. started and I'm still in like the major progress phase. Okay. And I am not like you, Denise, where like working out has been something that I just need. Um, I have been like, I mean, after having babies my body was trashed right and so I there was a lot of pain involved all the time every like I just everything was all messed up inside of me for a long time and I just didn't ever expect it to go back to normal and so there wasn't a lot of physical activity on my part it was like just taking care of my kids and like checking all of my boxes and getting everything done and when I was working, it was work, and and you know, and then sometimes I would sleep. So, um. so do you, let, let, let's just stop right there for just a second because I think one of the reasons I wanted Natalie on here is because she's real, right? She's yeah. uh, she's like all of us, mm-hmm. where as women, as mothers, as wives, as just people surviving, we kind of just forget about taking care of ourselves. Well, it, and it's not even that you forget about it. No, it's you that remember. You have to like choose to sideline yourself a little bit when there's only so many hours in the day and so many things that need to get done it's like okay I don't know it's just it didn't feel like an option to put myself first right how, um, how you for a long time how were you inspired to do a triathlon though do so my a... crazy friend uh-huh. Heidi there's always a crazy friend yeah <laughs> so she, <laughs> she's pointing at me I point directly at Denise um, so I love Heidi and she's always doing something amazing. And so my husband does triathlons oh. and he's very active and I want to like, I aspire to be active with him. Yeah. Um, but he, um, he invited our friend Trevor to do the Malibu triathlon with him mm-hmm. and Heidi and Trevor are married. And so Heidi called me one day and was like, we're not letting the boys do this without us. We need a, we need something fun to do. Um, I'm doing it, and you're doing it with me, and I'm not taking no for an answer. And I was like, yeah, no, hard pass. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I was just starting to get going with Pilates and, like, starting to kind of mend my body and feel good in my skin again and not be in pain all the time. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm just taking this one step at a time. And, and triathlons are not like the second step or the third step. I, this is no. the next level. Yeah, for sure. Is it a full try or is it a it, half? Olympic distance? So it's not like an Ironman. No, but it's 26 miles of running. No, no, no. no, no. That's Ironman. Oh, that is? That's Ironman. Yeah. This is how little I so know about the, triathlons. The Olympic distance is about a mile swim, um, like 25 miles on the bike, and then like a 6.2 mile run. So before we get too far into this, when I was talking to Natalie about her, her triathlon experience at the, at the time we were talking about, it, and I said, really, what made you want to do a triathlon? And she didn't tell me about what she was saying, what she just gave us the description of, but she did tell me something that I thought was really key and really what we're about here at TAG, which was, tell, tell me what your kind of motto is or theory. So when Heidi asked me to do it I was like hard pass I'm not doing this that's that's way above my 
skill level <laughs> in all facets. And I I started thinking about it. I found a training coach who I talked to and she said, she's like, yeah, I can get you ready to swim in the ocean. So I started feeling a little bit more confident. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, okay, this homeschool thing is about to be over. And that has been so much of my identity for the last year. And prior to that, my identity was totally wrapped up in, this is like another whole story, but when we moved out here from DC, we were in DC for like 12 plus years. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah, and so we were in DC for a really long time. And then when we moved out here, we moved because it was great timing. We found a great house right across the street from our family and like, it was great, but my husband still had to finish up his work. And so I came out with all four kids and I had, I went from working full time and having a nanny that lived with us who was wonderful. And um, so then we moved out here and my husband helped us move in and then got back on an airplane and went back to D.C. And I was all of a sudden like full time stay at home mom, <laughs> single mom mm-hmm. and slap. It was That's- it was. This is what I'm saying. God has to push me right to the edge before I can jump in. And it's like, I I think I thrive in crisis. Um, but that was kind of my, like, I was in this crisis mode for a while. And it was like, it was my quest. It was my quest to accomplish and, like, d- demolish being a stay-at-home stay mom. single mom. Like, I'm going to kill this. Because I just, I have to, I have to operate that way. And so then... My husband finishes up after a year and a half. He gets back. It We've, was a year and a half? It was a year and a half. That you were We thought it was going to be like a couple mom. months. No. And it ended up being like a year and a half. Oh, God. And in retrospect, it like it was great because I figured out how to be a mom. And, yeah. Single you know, mom. Single yeah. yeah. And it was, it was good. But then, okay, so that quest is over. And then I'm moving on to the next thing. And like almost immediately, the homeschool thing came up. And now the homeschool thing is winding up and... And I think I was feeling the lack of a quest. Like, what am I? Who am I? I don't know what so to when do she, with myself. Yeah, and so yeah. I like I saw this as kind of a quest that I wanted to I wanted to demolish it. <laughs> so when she said the word quest, I thought that is such an interesting way of describing something you're going after, right? Like we say we set goals. We say we, but when you say quest, the first thing I think of is like. Camelot or something, you know, really <laughs> grand, right? Like something. But I, I thought about it after she told me, and that's when I approached her a few days later and said, hey, would you ever be interested in talking on our podcast? Because like, and like you said, you're going to demolish it. You're not just about kind of doing something. Right. You're going to take it and you're going to make it your own. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the idea. I don't, I don't want to just do it. I want to do it well. And that's kind of how I am. Are you a perfectionist? Sort of. It depends on... Type A? Um, I I don't know. It depends on what situation I'm in. At work, I'm very type A. At home, I have to let go of that or I'll lose my mind. Um, but yeah, I think it's just... Are I you, just want to get it done right. And, how are you with your kids? Yeah. And I do, I do have to remind myself every now and then, okay... She's only six or, you know, like she's not going to like today somebody spilled the giant bowl of watermelon on the floor. Awesome. And, you know, like so I'm like, OK, everybody get down there and clean it up. And she's like wandering around while the boys are down there semi cleaning it up. And I mean, I don't know. I think that I do. I, I, I think I do expect more of them than I should. But I think that. My husband's always telling me that I'm the soft one, you know, like you're you're too nice. And um, my my sweet mother-in-law tells me all the time, you're too nice. And really? yeah, because I and I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing, because I think what what they really mean is you need to drill down a little bit and get them in shape. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I think. There's a fine. There's just a fine. There's line. a fine line, and, and I have my moments of it, being the hardcore, and I have my moments of being 
a nice mom. I think it's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard to balance that sometimes, especially society is expecting a lot out of women. Mm-hmm. We're expecting a lot out of our children these days. And so it's hard. But when you have this drive, sometimes I think your kids will either pick up on it or it makes them kind of curl back in within themselves sometimes. I've seen that in my own family where you'd think it'd be motivating. You'd think they'd be proud. You'd think, but then they're intimidated by it or they're yeah. feeling less than sometimes. So I don't know. Well, don't you always want to be the opposite of what your parents were? Yeah, probably. So, I mean, there's got to be some of that, but then, you know, genetically, they're just like you and your husband anyway. You know right. what I mean? Like they're going to, it all works itself out in the end. Yeah. Right. You're not currently working full time though, are you? No, I'm okay. not. And I did work full time like all through like way before I had kids and then also having kids drum roll please so let's let's go back a a, a half a minute here because Mm -hmm. so we're we're bonding with Pilates we're finding out we love triathlons we're talking about we're talking shop about that we find out we're also members of the same church which we didn't know and with that just kind of comes about and we're in the parking lot and I say, let's, let's find a time where we can do the interview sometime soon. And she's, and then you say to me, what? Well, I had, I had mentioned to my husband that you had asked me to come on the podcast and talk about, you know, triathlons and, and, you know, my, my quest and everything. And, and he was like, well, did you tell her that's not the most interesting thing about you? And I was like, well, no, that, that's weird to just like hand a friend your resume and be like, hey, oh, and by the guess way. how cool I used to be. But so you know? d- we're standing in front of her white minivan when she's telling me this. And Pearl, we, her name is Pearl. Her name is Pearl. She's <laughs> yes. she's really cool for a vi- minivan. Yes. <laughs> she has one of those sliding doors and everything. Yes, she's um, very fancy. So she tells me this and I about lose my mind. Will you tell us all what you what what your former life was so and i don't even know that i would have brought it up but for the fact that i had listened to your previous podcast and you guys were talking about your like true crime stuff that you're into yeah. and um i am i'm not like a true crime person because i've i used to be so i'm an attorney and i started my i started my attorney career as a prosecutor and i did that for close to five years and I did some really hard stuff when I was in there and that was like enough of the true crime for me for the rest of my life. What were you doing? Tell us what you so, were doing. So I mean I did I did like I started out as a baby prosecutor doing like misdemeanors and traffic tickets and things like that and then I almost immediately after that first year got thrown into um, juvenile like at the at juvenile hall and um, doing juvenile crimes and there they take the felonies and and all that kind of stuff but they're excuse me they're committed by juveniles and so they have to you know treat them a little differently and I was the only woman there were like three of us this is when I lived in Boise Idaho is this the district attorney's office yes this is the district attorney's office in Boise Idaho okay and they were so good to me and um I was the only woman in the juvenile office and like shortly after I got there, they handed me a file for a sex crime case. And um and they were like, none of us want to do this. Oh. And and so I was like, fine, I'll do it. And the victim was a little girl. And so I Did you have kids at the time? No. No, yeah. heavens no. And I I purposely waited to have kids until after I had switched gears and moved out of this this career. Um but so I, I talked to this sweet little girl and, you know, went through the whole process and handled this case. And then every single time after that, every single time a sex crime case would come in, which was unfortunately quite often. Really? Um, yeah. And in, so you're still in the juvenile department. Yes. I was. So in the these are under department. 18 um, perpetrators. Yes. They're they're under 18 perpetrators. And I never saw a victim that was. Over the of age of like of 10, course. probably. Of course. No, I had an 11-year-old once. But um, so, and some of them ended up being charged in adult court. Sure. Um, because the crime is so terrible. Right. Okay. The crime is so terrible and they're close enough to being 18 that they 
they were able to be charged in adult court. But so the very first them, person that you ever did was a girl who had perpetrated something bad. No, the victim was the, a girl. She was a victim. The okay. victim was a girl. Yeah. Okay. It was a it was a male perpetrator mm-hmm. and a, a little girl that was a victim. And then you just became the person that we send all those files. I became the person. The I became the person. Oof. And um and I stopped handling most other cases. I, I kept a couple other bigger ones that I was working on. Um and I, one of them that I handled was a homicide case. It was a vehicular homicide case. And it was, I mean, it was awful. The victim, the, I mean, the victim was dead and it was terrible. And then, but at least with the sex crime cases, the victim was alive. And there was a chance that with some really good treatment and therapy that they you were going to be able, yeah, they were going to be able to live a normal life. And honestly, with the, with the juveniles, with the juvenile offenders too, I did a whole lot of training doing like the psychology of all of it. And a lot of it with the juveniles, they are, they are perpetrating because they have been perpetrated on themselves in a lot of, in a, in a lot of cases, not in every case, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases. And so I kind of, it felt like social work on behalf of the victim, but then also on behalf of the defendant who in most cases really needed help and so it was it was just something that you were able to process it that way so that you could that's how get i felt it. better about it right. that's how i felt better about it right. and there were times that it i would just go into the file room and close the door and sob really <laughs> because yeah. it was really heavy oh yeah um yeah but it also it also felt like there was some good that could come out of it whereas with homicide cases it was like it's already that's already happened. Everything's done. Everything's done. It's no matter what the outcome. It's bad. Everybody's you know? a loser at that point. Yeah. So yeah. how long did you work in the DA's office there in Boise? So that was only about two years. Oh. Um, because then we moved to Washington D.C. Because my husband got into Georgetown to do an advanced law degree, and he's a tax lawyer. Mm. Um, and so he got into Georgetown to do his tax law LLM, and so when we moved there. Um, I found a job. I was looking for a job and it just so happened that the DC attorney general's office, which is like the equivalent of their DA, mm-hmm. um, they needed a vertical sex crime prosecutor for their juvenile section oh, wow. and which was crazy. And so I applied because I knew how to do it and I was actually pretty passionate about it and had done a lot of research and a lot of training and and everything and so then I did that for another few years there um and that was even harder because the kids in DC are a little harder than the kids in Boise mm-hmm. um <laughs> a little bit rougher yeah group as a yeah, whole as a whole and, yeah and just the population is much larger yes well. and so it was really heavy and so yeah. I had I had a good friend who was my trial team my trial partner and he and I kind of handled all these cases together and wow um it was I mean it was hard but it was also it was really good and it it was like handed to me on a silver platter because nobody else in their right mind would have applied for this job you know but I was like well I have I have the experience I really need a job and I care about it so let's go and so that's what I did for a few more years and then a good friend of mine from law school called me and he was working for Department of Justice. The DOJ. The DOJ. Which by the way, when I was in law school, I was um I was an intern at the US Attorney's Office in upstate New York. I went to Syracuse Law School. And um so I was an intern there and I worked with some awesome attorneys when I was there. And I just totally fell in love and my career took a totally different turn because I wasn't planning on prosecuting or doing any government stuff. Um, but because I worked in this office, I just fell in love with it. And, um, and while I was there, it became like the silver tuna to one day work at Maine justice, Really, you know, like it was just like the dream. And so my friend that worked at Maine justice, he called me and he was like, Hey, we really need people. This was in like 2006 ish. And, um, he was like, Hey, we really, really need people. And I have your resume. 
um, can I give it to my boss? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what's your job? He's like, I can't tell you that. Because <laughs> he works for the DOJ. Well, yeah. And the type of work that he did, he like sent me a link for their open source website for the Office of See, Intelligence. See, I get so excited right now. <laughs> and actually, it wasn't even called the Office of Intelligence back then. It was Office of Intelligence Policy and Review or something like that. To make it sound as boring as possible. Yes. So people won't want to look. Yes. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, do you mind if I give them your resume? And I was like, well, I'm not really looking for anything right now, but sure, that would be cool. It's main justice, you know, and, and, but they called me and I went in and talked to them and they still couldn't tell me exactly what I would be doing, but they were like, okay, so read this statute and that'll give you like a basic general description did of it? what we do. What did it say? So it's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is the statute that they handed me. <laughs> and, um, so and, so, <laughs> and so I read through it and it meant absolutely nothing to me <laughs> yes. because I knew nothing about this. Words, words, words. It yes. means words, nothing words. to me yes. right now, but it gets me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I went in and I, I interviewed for this job that I didn't know what it was and they talked about you know how do you feel about the balance between um you know constitutional freedoms and national security yes i like it and i was like <laughs> how do you feel about it that's, very good yeah i, I was really like good i really it. like that sounds awesome, awesome. <laughs> and i'm like i've been doing public safety on like a smaller scale and it felt like kind of taking it to a much larger scale, you know, and even though I didn't know exactly what I would be doing, I was like, "Ooh, constitutional freedoms and yeah. national security." Yes, it could be. Yes, anything. please. Yeah. It could be very exciting. Yeah. And and um, so the FISA statute is basically giving it. It gives the government permission to, in very specific circumstances, to conduct clandestine surveillance right. of agents of foreign powers. And so wait, um, wait, wait. agents of foreign powers, meaning like spies or terrorists yes. from other countries, from other countries or Who maybe like, here. Yes. Only domestic. OK. Only well, there on is our... there is a section of FISA. Title seven of FISA allows the government to do non-U.S. persons who are overseas. OK. Um, but the um, never U.S. persons overseas. If it's if it's domestic. And you can prove very, very specifically that somebody's an agent of a foreign power. Then the government can use the FISA statute to conduct surveillance okay. um, of U.S. persons and non-U.S. persons. But there is a much higher threshold if it's a U.S. person. Right. Okay. So you're mostly targeting, for lack of a better word, people who are here from another country. Yeah. On our In our country. Yeah. Who are basically spies. Yeah, so I did I did counterintelligence the whole time that I was at DOJ. And um Me so too. I did I did yeah. spies. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. When she told me this in the parking lot, mm-hmm. I said some choice words because yeah, I got did. so freaking I mean, excited, like freeze amazing. mother effer. You guys like, I was just like I grabbed a gun and I my hand. <laughs> I did gun. not have a gun. <laughs> I know, but she didn't tell me that until I said it and I was so excited. Yes. No, I was a geeky attorney. I was not one of the cool kids with a gun. But so, you did shoot um, a gun. They you so did get trained. my agent friends. My agent friends did Her like FBI agent friends. Yeah. They would take me sometimes and and let me shoot guns and laugh at me you know well, i mean okay <laughs> but Whatever. it was still it was fun sure. it was really fun so what were your what were your duties so what i would write so the way that the whole thing works is that um the intelligence agencies usually the fbi mm-hmm. would come to the office of intelligence which is in the national security division mm-hmm. of department of justice and they would say hey you know here's this um here's this application that we have for um, a FISA and here's all of the information that we have to prove that this person is an agent of a foreign power under the statute and I would kind of comb through it and go through it over and over with them and um, write it up into a FISA warrant which was like big fat few hundred pages usually um but the portion that I had to like actually author was probably only like fifty or so pages per warrant. Okay. And um and then we would go through this whole process and take it to 
all of these different levels of approval and in the FBI and at Department of Justice and um, through throughout the intelligence community and then take it to the FISA court and they would either approve it or not. So it's essentially like, I mean, I think the thing people like myself can understand is is obtaining a search warrant. So yes. we know there's a bad guy. We have to be able to prove that he's a bad guy by getting into his house. And we have these reasons yes. to put us at this guy's door. So all of that has to be legal or when it gets into court and they're prosecuting the bad guy, they can say, they they just walked into his house for no reason. Right. So you got to make sure all the T's are crossed. Oh, yes. And the I's are dotted. Yeah, so we had to get, we had to have probable cause that, mm-hmm. that I mean, very, very high threshold especially for for u.s persons um to make sure that the government is doing it right right and and especially because if they if they did find something and it went to litigation somehow like they would have to be able to protect it and i mean the last thing that they would ever want to do is give up their sources and methods and right, right. all that kind of stuff, you know. So, so did you, were you at the level though, would you ever find out that, okay, they, they we executed this warrant, mm-hmm. they did pursue this particular person and he ended up, he or she ended up to be a real bad guy. Did you, were you ever privy to what happened after that warrant left your office? So yes, because um, in in the statute there's a requirement that the warrant has to be renewed if you want to keep doing surveillance and gathering information so for a u.s person it has to be renewed gosh it's been like four years now i want to say i think it's every 90 days for a u.s person and like 120 days for a non-u.s person that's not much oh so no the first renewal is 120 days for a non-u.s person and after that you get one year oh okay um but for a u.s person so for a U.S. person, it's always 90 days. Every 90 days, you would have to you'd have to Reissue. come back and show probable cause, like updated probable cause. You can't yeah. use the same stuff again. And so, so in that 90 days, if you don't find something new, new, right, you're not getting it. You're not getting it renewed. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that would happen. The judge is like, you guys know. Yeah, he just wouldn't allow it. I don't. I don't think so. I can't think of a time that 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 would have ever happened so so there were bad guys who then were under surveillance that then you followed up on that you heard about yes and i have to be super careful because i don't want you to get arrested right now i do (laughs) and i i kind of signed my life away when i accepted my clearance and and everything and even though i'm not working there anymore it still follows me so i can't i can't give like Right. Specific details or no, specifics or anything like that, but of course, no. The government is not spending this type of this this type of effort and this level of resources on people who are not worthwhile, right? Who they're not gaining intelligence from, right? Who don't warrant the warrant, right? Right? Oh, how, who don't warrant the warrant? I like that. good one. Actually, yeah. um, how long did you do that particular? So job? I did that um, just under ten years. Ten. years yeah I did that for a long time and then um then I moved over to FBI um, Uh uh-huh this is what I'm talking about so (laughs) so um DOJ is just as cool as FBI it is but I I don't know I just like if it's CIA or FBI just because I watch a lot of television and it seems like you know yeah is the DOJ the nerds of the FBI of the intelligence community? Um, no, the <laughs> DOJ are the, we were probably the, not the thorn in the side, but oh. like the babysitter, you know? Oh, like you're the because overseer. You're making sure yeah, we're that the they're attorneys. doing. We're yeah. the attorneys. And I mean, the, each of the agencies have their own attorneys also, mm-hmm. but then we were kind of the You were ones. the oversight. We were the oversight. Yeah. They're, like we did, the technical word is oversight. We right. did oversight. And so once they would start executing, part of our job was also to to go through and make sure that the information that they're gathering, they are treating appropriately and they're not disseminating it to places and people that they shouldn't disseminate it to according to the rules. Like there's super, super specific rules about how things have to be done and how every little bit of information can be treated. And so we would we would comb through all that Oof. and and kind of help them make sure that everything was on the up and up right. and and if we did find a problem here or there where it was disseminated without the right classification markings or whatever then we would go back and 
help them fix it. It's a lot more technical than they show on television. They don't get it. You guys, I lose my mind when I watch when I watch legal shows. I'll bet you do. I totally lose it because of my. So then you made was it was you made a horizontal move over to the FBI. Yeah, so horizontal move to the FBI, and so we kind of we worked in tandem at DOJ. We would work in tandem with the attorneys at FBI, and we would all kind of work together to make sure that we ushered these warrants um, properly through the court. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I swapped over to FBI and started working from that side of it. And I was no longer doing the counterintelligence stuff at FBI. I, I was doing the Title Seven stuff, like what? I mentioned earlier. It was non-U.S. persons oh, okay. overseas. Overseas, ooh. And um, so that was, it was a different, a different little corner of the statute. Yeah. Um, but it was super interesting and meaningful complicated to enforce law in another country well and it was really just it wasn't really enforcing the law in another country it was making sure that we were using our powers of surveillance appropriately even though it was targeting somebody who was not a u.s person who has no like they're not even in the united states and they really don't have any rights in the United States, but we still provide them under the statute with these certain, you know, criteria, certain rights um, mm-hmm. as far as their information goes. And also making sure that if they were in contact with any U.S. persons and we happen to pick up that that conversation between them and a U.S. person who is not a target, then we're treating that information very, very carefully. So these are people, just so I'm understanding right, hypothetically. Totally hypothetical. This is a person of a foreign land, mm-hmm. a citizen of, in, in a different country who has somehow proven along the way to get on your radar, mm-hmm. the FBI's radar, that they are providing some intelligence about the U.S. that is damaging? No. So at that point, most of 702 was, um, of Title Seven is targeting terrorists that was a lot of counterterrorism stuff and so if they are um i don't even i can't even remember my brain like stopped working when i stopped working there's yeah. a lot um, of information but because there. well, there's all so that it's all that sixth grade math i know right you can't do it you can't do both <laughs> all of my real knowledge has been replaced by fractions and decimals rightfully ratios so. yeah um so it was it was mostly counterterrorism work that we were doing and kind of targeting those individuals who are non-U.S. persons overseas. Who, who mean harm? Yes. To the U.S. Yes. In some way. Yes. They're agents of a foreign power operating in other countries. So the plot for 9-11 would have been a type of, that's the that's the type of thing that you're like, well, this is what you would be looking at? Oh, I mean any yeah anything anything not like that, that you did kind of, i'm not saying no that, and i wasn't i wasn't around no. even when 9 11 i mean i was in law school then and that was a trip but um yeah it's i mean that that's the that's type the of kind thing. of terrorism you're talking about yeah and, and it doesn't even have to be huge. on that large yeah. of a scale mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. you know yeah wow stuff like that how long were you then on the fbi side of that i was at fbi so Let's see. I have to measure it by babies. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so you were having children during this time? Yes. I had all four of my kids. At the DOJ or? No, I had three of them when I was at DOJ. And I left DOJ shortly after Evelyn was born. And then I, I when I went in for my interview at FBI, I was giant pregnant with Evelyn, my, my third baby. And I was so swollen. I walked into my interview with flip-flops on because I couldn't fit my feet in the shoes. And thankfully, they, I mean, they knew me because I'd been working with them for such a long time. And they had mercy on me and didn't judge me for being a whale with flip-flops on in my interview. I mean, you don't have to necessarily answer this. We can actually cut it if we need to. Are they sort of a progressive, forward-thinking organization when it comes to women employees? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Really? A thousand percent. I love it. I mean, we definitely need 
more female agents. Sure. What if, but, is it too late for me? Never. <laughs> never. I don't know what I could bring to the table, but I, You're I nine feel, millimeter. Drive. I feel <laughs> like I could do it. Okay. I feel like if I could learn how to shoot pretty well, sure. I could be in there, that Absolutely. situation. So yeah. so they are like, get these, get the ladies yeah. in here. They need more female agents, that is for sure. Um, but honestly, like, I truly, our, our leadership in our section, mm-hmm. um, all female. What? Everybody was female. See, it that was, is not it was the picture awesome. that's painted f- culturally. No. And I mean, we were the attorneys, right? And yeah. there were, I mean, there were plenty of males that worked with us too in the, in the attorney crew. Um, but just in, in our, our group, like we had all of our, all of our people were, all of my bosses were female. Oh. What Except is, for like the big boss, you know. Yeah, but there are lots of women working represented right. it's oh yeah not it's no and longer they, there were a few of them that didn't have kids but most of them had kids too so they were okay with that yeah they yeah. were they were open to that for you yeah obviously you went in pregnant and they knew what they were dealing yeah. with yeah right and then well they know everything after, about you anyway it's not like you're oh no you're, they you're, know everything about you're not you. going there and going they're like oh you have three kids i had yeah. no idea no yeah. they know everything about you yeah for sure um but yeah, they were they were great about it when I went to them and told them that I was pregnant with number four, which <laughs> I had just started like maybe six months before that. And they knew that I had just finished maternity leave with DOJ and then I moved <laughs> over and, you know, I'm I'm doing this schedule where I'm coming in at 6 a.m. and leaving at 3.30 and you, because they, I have kids at home and then I they caught me like getting sick one day. One of my friends, I... I would just have to like get sick in my trash can at my desk uh, and um and she caught me and she was like hey so are you gonna say anything and i was like well as of eight weeks of pregnancy for me i'm just like i'm sick there's nothing i could do about it and so i'm like i've i've tried with previous in my previous job i tried to hide it until like 12 weeks or something when something magical happens and you're allowed to tell people <laughs> but um i so i just came straight out and told them i was like hey listen I'm going to be sick for the next like eight weeks and I just oh. need you to understand why <laughs> if my door is closed don't come in <laughs> it means something ugly is happening in here <laughs> so that's one way to keep him out so. yeah right uh. so you know I think it's so interesting when she did tell me she was the working for the FBI and DOJ I got so excited but when I started really thinking about it again such a great conversation to have because I think We've talked about it together about how women, it's its just hard to have it all. Oh, so hard. I mean, and I personally don't think there is any such thing as having it all. I think something gives, right? Something yeah. has to give, whether it is your own personal identity yeah. or it's the relationship you have with your husband yeah. or you, you know, your kids are, their kids are being raised by somebody else for a long, a portion of that. And I had to work with my kids, I was working part-time doing my own thing, um, our own business. So I had a lot more flexibility than going to, you know, Washington, being in Washington, D.C. with the FBI, although I'd love to be able to say that. <laughs> um, but where, how did you balance it? And how did you make the determination to go into this career like this and have four kids? Because that's ambitious. Again, here we go. That's the quest. Like you, you just go all yeah. in. I, like, like, like I am have all one in. kid, but no four. So, I mean, the, this is going to sound super cheesy, but the answer is that I have an amazing husband. No, That's I like not cheesy. Um, we like amazing <laughs> husbands. We both have amazing. We both have amazing husbands. No. So. Kind of goopy, but he. So after maternity leave, with every single one of my kids, I would have this like meltdown, and. I took long postpartum. maternity leaves. It, I, it wasn't postpartum. I don't, at least I was never diagnosed because I would be fine until right before I went back to work. Mm-hmm. And then I would start having this breakdown and just be so broken about the fact that some other woman is right. going to get to see my baby wake up from the nap every day and like get those smiles. And I wasn't going to get them. And, you know, are they going to be upset with me when they're a teenager because I left them when they're you know I just had this really intense mom guilt every time right before I would go back 
to work. And, um, and my husband, every single time, especially the first time, he was like, you don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. We can move. We can, because he was working for the government at that point too. And so we were, you know, two government attorneys and living in Washington, D.C. is expensive yeah. and working for the government, you don't make a ton of money. And right. so it's like we, we were, we were living in a great neighborhood and in a cute little house and everything was good. But if I wasn't working, we, then couldn't have we wouldn't have been able to afford it. And so... He was like, look, we could we could move out into Virginia. We I could change jobs. We can, you know, we can do whatever we need to. He's like, you choose. I want you to choose. He gave you the permission. He gave to me make the permission it. to choose. And he also then reminded me, he's like, but I think you want to work. <laughs> I think that you are a little cloudy right now because your emotions mm-hmm. are getting the best of you (laughs) he's like dr phil man he totally was (laughs) and so he was like i think you want to work i i want you to think about it and he was like think about how perfect this is like you have an amazing job that you love that loves you and that is waiting for you you have a husband who loves you you have beautiful baby you have like everybody's healthy what are you freaking out about Mm -hmm. and and then I would, you know, unload about the sad part. And then he would be like, okay, so we can do things about that. And we can spend more quality time together outside of it. And anyway, so he, yeah, he I, was just I've never really met supportive. him, but I really love him. I do too. Yeah, so I'll have cute. to meet him. He's great. So he, he just let me choose. And we, we titled it Operation Optimism. And because um, everything in my life at that point was Operation Something, and so <laughs> because of so my much, job, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> so I love it so much. We I got we called that phase of our life Operation Optimism. And every time I would start getting weepy about how sad I was about not being with my babies all day, um, no. he would be like, "Okay, Operation Optimism. Let's talk about the good things." And then we would like list off the good things. And I would breathe and I would be like, no, this this is what I want to be doing, you know. And he just kept giving me that. He kept letting me take the lead and do what I wanted to do. And I got to do both. It did come with serious mom guilt. Yes. Um, and it, and it, now that I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm realizing there's mom guilt on the other side oh, of it, no, too. You're not like, getting it's out never going to go away. No, it's no. never going away. And it's always so, going to be your yeah. fault anyway. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> really matter. matter. No. I mean, the therapy's going to yeah. come no matter who it is. And, right. it, and no matter what you did, and it's going to be your fault. Right. So you might as well do something that's for you. I mean, you have the intelligence. You yeah. put the time and effort into going to law school. And so you were able to kind of live out your dream, right? Fulfill yeah. something yeah. and be a badass. I mean, that is really, really cool. It was cool. And now I'm like... And now you're just a badass mom. Well, now, yeah. But that's but this is why I needed the triathlon, triathlon in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I needed to feel like a badass. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know why I need that. Yeah. But there's just a part of me that needs to crush something. And crush not as in like bad crush, but just like no. accomplish it yeah. with vigor, gusto, yes. you know, all in. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. So like we have uh, we every every time we we leave and we never ask our guests to share the takeaway gift that they have the tag for us. So Natalie, what is your takeaway gift for us today? So there were a couple. I mean, Operation Optimism is I like love it. one of them. And that is going to be like my motto for the rest of my life because it just That's gets your family me. motto. It is. It has to be. It, it gets me through. It's great. Um, but I, I was going to talk about how like, and I don't know if there's something wrong in my brain or if there's <laughs> something very right in my brain, but... When somebody tells me that I can't do something, it makes me want to do it even more. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to be like, well, I'll show you, you me know. Too. And it totally works for me. And my husband knows this, actually. <laughs> and so he knows this about me. And he'll use it against me sometimes like, and be like, reverse psychology. I don't think you can make a cheesecake. I don't, I don't, know. I don't think you can do that. And I don't think you can mop the floor very I, well. I, I see. I wouldn't fall for that. Like, there, I draw the line. Like, I don't think you can make a cheesecake. I think I could eat a cheesecake for yeah. sure. Yeah. So 
I, that's just like I don't know. That's so one of prove my them wrong. big motivators mm-hmm. is to prove <laughs> prove them wrong, mm-hmm. and um, and not only prove them wrong but prove myself wrong. Um, I there's this line in this song. Have you guys ever heard of the band called Walk the Moon? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love Walk the Moon, mm-hmm. and I was running during the pandemic because there was this time during the pandemic where I was desperate for solitude <laughs> and and solitude and I wasn't going to Pilates at the time because everything was weird shut and shut down and and so I was running and this song came on um and there's this line in the song that talks about how like how he thought he was so cool but he wasn't really in his prime at that point and I don't know something totally resonated it was like revelation through music music <laughs> and through walk the moon and I was like okay I I was kind of thinking of my former self my former like attorney self and and working mom self as like I used to be so badass and I'm like why why now was I'm that my prime fourth grade math yes w- wiping up Watermelon. Watermelon. watermelon off the floor literally scrubbing chocolate milk off of the <laughs> kitchen ceiling with a with a toothbrush at like one one o'clock in the morning I've done um, that. so i mean oh. i just i was like that that can't have been my prime i i am <laughs> redetermining that my prime is in my future and so as i'm running i like start crying and you know how if you cry when you're trying to exercise you can't breathe so i had to stop and be like that girl on the side of the road that's gasping for air (laughs) yes so that was kind of my that was kind of my moment where i was like okay i i haven't hit my prime yet i have to figure out what it is that's going to be my quest that is you know i'm still reaching for my prime i have to continue reaching for it i love it i love it too great and i'm i'm the same way i mean i feel like if someone tells me i can't do something i've got to prove them wrong i love yeah i love the thought though that you know your prime is whatever age that you're in it's going to change you know what I mean? like your prime at the fbi was that's pretty prime but that's not going to be your prime for the next chapter of your life no the next chapter of my life looks so different yes. than my previous chapter. Right. You don't have to look at that and go, well, that's the best I'm ever going to get. It's downhill from here. Yeah, as you're crying on the side bummer. of the road. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. just a bummer to no. think of that and no. be like, no, it doesn't get better. I mean, that was awesome, but it has to be like, it has to be better. It has Even to- if it's really different. It, different is better. Yeah. 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 But so. you have to make a conscious effort to make it happen. I think people find kind of get into the rut of, well, this is it. Yeah. But you have to, you have to choose yeah. to find that quest. Yeah. You have to be open to it. Yeah. And you have to be willing to work. Yeah. Well, and work is just like the bottom line. Work with an exclamation point. Yeah. That's one, like, that's something that my type A self is trying to teach my kids <laughs> is like, you're work never going to be happy if you're not willing to work. The harder like, you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. And the happier you are. If mm-hmm. you're willing to work hard, you're going to find happiness doing whatever it is that you love. Yeah. You know, whether it's making cheesecakes or hunting spies. Natalie, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you. For so me. happy to, talk to, to you. have you on. Wow, cool. So inspiring. Yep. This has been Two Average Girls. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.